Right, good morning all. Um, so on your phones or wherever, Mark 9, verses 30 to 50. And it's my honor to read this wonderful word today. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had been, uh, they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. And he took a child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, John said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him. Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter maimed, life maimed than with two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, well, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, guess what? Pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where? The worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be sorted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, well, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Oh, thank you, Val, for reading for us. Uh, much appreciated. I wonder, what do you think it looks like to live a great life? What would it look like for you to have a great life? 
I reckon different people would have all sorts of ideas about what greatness might look like. Uh, Maybe for some, the great life is uh, the life where you've got lots of time to relax and no financial responsibilities and plenty of uh, time to party or to pursue hobbies or to jam on the guitar. Uh, maybe, maybe their greatness is about achievement, um, perhaps great sporting achievement. Think of, um, think of David Warner, uh, over 30 test centuries, and now um, people are saying, oh, he was, he was really one of the greats, wasn't he? Uh, is, that, is that greatness? You know, Dave Warner did do some pretty amazing things. He, he played cricket pretty well, um, although I must say now he's retired um, and lots of sports people find that really hard, actually. Your whole life has been about cricket um, and now he's 37 and he's a retired cricketer and he has to work out what he has going to do with the next 30, 40, uh, 50 years. Uh, greatness can also look like achievement in maybe the business world or um, the academic world, perhaps writing a, a landmark book. Uh, maybe greatness is about, uh, maybe, maybe it's more about the impact you have, uh, leaving the world in a better place than what you found it. Or perhaps um, the great life is really a life uh, where you've experienced lots of things, you've collected lots of great memories, um, you've lived in the moment and you've enjoyed uh, what you've had. Uh, well, our reading today, Val has just read it for us. I don't know what you picked up. There's a, um, a number of different interactions in that reading, but I think Uh, What we've read circles around this big question. What does a great life look like? Particularly, what does it look like to be great in the eyes of Jesus? Jesus turns what a lot of people think about greatness on its head. Uh, The disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, which one of them is the best. Uh, And Jesus says this famous line, verse 35, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. Uh, To be great, according to Jesus, is not to be first, but to be last. Not to be served like a big successful CEO with all sorts of people working for them, uh, but to be the one serving. Uh, Well, if we're going to follow Jesus and to uh, seek this sort of greatness, what then should we do? How should we, how can we be great like Jesus? What's going to motivate us? I've just got um, two kind of questions for us to think about today as we um, jump into this passage. Um, it's just the how and the why. Um, how can we be great in, a way, in the way that Jesus talks about greatness? Uh, and then why? Why would I want this sort of greatness anyway? Um, I would have put a what in there as well. How, why, and what? What we should actually go and do. But um, the truth is today's passage doesn't really take us into those sorts of specifics. It is a practical passage, um, but it's practical much more at the level of our motivations uh, and our attitude. That's what the focus is. Um, so I've got these, these two questions for us to ask, and I've got um, three things to say under each, underneath each one of them. Um, but So first of all, let's think about this how. Kind of how do we go about being great in the way Jesus talks about it? What advice can we get from these stories and from this passage if we want to have this kind of greatness and live this way? I think the passage would say um, basically three things to us. The first one is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. At the start of our passage, the first um, couple of verses, um, we get the context of what's been going on in the overall uh, book of Mark. Uh, You can see it there in verses 30 to 32. Um, If you've been around the last couple of weeks, you'll know we're on this journey with Jesus uh, to the cross. And we're reminded of that context here. Uh, Verse verse 30, they, they left the place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Notice it's not so much about 
um, mission, going out and, and meeting new people. Jesus is focusing on teaching his followers. This is what it means to follow him. Um, he was teaching his disciples and he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Now we've heard this kind of thing a few times in Mark now actually. Jesus has been very clear about what he's doing. He's going to Jerusalem. Um, he's going to go to Jerusalem where he's going to die and he's going to rise again. Uh, but even though Jesus has said it a few times, we've seen this a few times as well. The disciples don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand what he's talking about. They can't compute this idea that Jesus, their leader, might be going to die. Um, I wonder, can you understand why the disciples, though, would have had such a hard time sort of getting their minds around what he's talking about? It's easy to look at the disciples and think, come on, guys, you know, he's just told you, just listen. Um, but I don't know about you, I reckon I'd actually be right there with the disciples, uh, this, is, this is Jesus we're talking about. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He has all authority. He calms the storms. How could he die? No one could stop Jesus. And the disciples know who Jesus is. He's, he's God's promised king. He's the son of man. Jesus has even just called himself the son of man. The son of man was this amazing promised figure in the book of um, Daniel from the Old Testament. Someone who was going to come and rule. Uh, someone who was going to put everything to rights. I mean, talk about greatness. The disciples knew that this son of man was going to be one of the greatest of all, a great king. And so I think fair enough that their minds, in, in their minds, there's no category where greatness could look like going to Jerusalem and dying. It's like saying the greatest cricketer of, cricketer of all time is someone who never got on the field. It just doesn't fit with their understanding. Uh, but notice then, if we want to be great in the eyes of Jesus, well then... Jesus is the one who gives us an ultimate example to follow, doesn't he? Yes, it might flip our logic on our heads to say, to be great, we have to be servants, or to be first, we have to be last. But look at how Jesus flipped everything on its head. He was the great son of man, the long-promised king, but he came to be given over to men to be killed. How do we go about being great in the eyes of Jesus? Well, we start by looking to his example. He had everything, but willingly gave it up for the sake of others. Now, I think the second piece of advice the passage that gives us is, uh, as it thinks of, uh, gets us to think about how we, we be great in this way, I think the passage also then tells us, don't serve to get things back. Um, come to the next part of the passage with me. We go to um, verse 33. Um, it says, when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what, are you, what were you arguing about on the road? The disciples um, we know they were arguing about who was the greatest. They kept quiet because they had argued about who was the greatest. They were embarrassed. Uh, and then here, um, 35, sitting down. I love the sitting down bit. Jesus, I can just picture Jesus going, okay, all right, we've got some work to do here. Let's sit down. We need to have a good conversation. Uh, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and the servant of all. And then Jesus gives the disciples this, um, this kind of picture lesson on how to have this sort of attitude. Look at what he does and look at what he says. He, uh, he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, what does the way we treat little children have to do with greatness um, partly, I think, uh, we don't quite get here how radical this thing is that Jesus is doing. Um, these days, 
kids are kind of popular. We kind of like kids, don't we? Um, they're cute. They say funny things. No one, not everyone likes spending time with kids, but I think most people kind of, you know, we, we're, we're positive on kids, um, especially if you get to look after them for a couple of hours and then give them back, right? Um, but back in the time of Jesus, things are a bit different. Um, in this sort of society, children were seen as kind of small and sort of powerless and sort of, um, sort of a drain on resources until they could grow old enough to be put to work. It's not like they hated kids or anything, but kids weren't quite seen in quite the same way as we see them today. And here's what I think was true then and is still true now. When you are kind to kids, when you serve kids, well, kids don't give back in the same way that adults do. You know, with adults, if you're good to other people around the office and help other people out, you kind of expect that um, they'll want to help you out too. If you make kind of good connections, uh, you kind of expect that those connections might benefit you in the future. If you have someone around for dinner and cook them a great meal, you sort of expect that they might repay the favour sometime. But none of this is true with kids, is it? Um, I had a great day with our older two girls um, this week. We wanted to practice some hiking, so we sort of went on this um, sort of mini hike, sort of four or four or five k's. It was great fun. Um, Lucy did a great job and walked the whole way. Um, Eleanor I had to carry for some parts of it, which is not surprising, but... Um, and I had a big backpack, I carried snacks and supplies and drinks. Um, I helped the girls have a great time. We got to Hungry Jack's halfway and I bought them some Hungry Jack's. Um, we stopped at a playground for them. I, they got home and I gave them an ice block. I, just, I did all this stuff to help them have a great time. Um, but do you think at the end of the day the girls said, Oh, Dad, well, you've given us such a great day. Well, why don't we cook dinner tonight? Why don't we just, you know, help you relax, help you get to bed early? Um, no, instead our girls threw a tantrum because I wouldn't let them go outside and play in the car after bedtime. Um, very harsh of me. Of course, do, kids do bring lots of joy, don't they? And, I, and you know, my kids are often very kind to us, but um, you, don't, you don't serve kids for the sake of them giving back to you. I think this is the point Jesus is trying to make when he picks up the little child. Welcome, welcome the little child, he says. Don't just welcome the important visitor who can bring you honour or could be a great connection for you. Welcome the little child. Welcome the person that probably won't even say thank you. Welcome the person that can give you nothing in return. How do we be great? In the way Jesus talks about it, we look to his example and then we serve, uh, but not to get things back, but because in humility we treat others as better than ourselves. And that's because the third piece of advice this passage gives us, I think, would be to remember that it's not all about us. It's not all about you. Uh, have, a, have a look with me at verse 38. Uh, it says, Teacher, says John. So John says, Teacher, we saw someone uh, driving out demons in your, in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Now, I don't know about you at first glance. This kind of seems to be a change of the subject. It's kind of a bit random, isn't it? Um, but as we think about what's being said, it is very much on theme. Um, and it's kind of ironic, actually, by the way. You might remember, um, if you were here last week, we had a story last week about um, demons being driven out. Um, only last week the story was about how the, the disciples actually couldn't do it. They actually didn't have what it takes to drive the demon out. They actually failed at the task. And now the disciples hear about someone else driving out demons, and so they tell them to stop. Actually, it kind of seems like the disciples are a bit jealous. Um, they couldn't do it, but these other people could, and so they tell them to stop. Maybe they're a bit worried because they're the disciples, right? They're Jesus' special 12 people and they've just been arguing about which one of them is the best and now there's someone else who seems to actually have power, someone else who actually maybe even can do things that they can't. Um, notice how John says, oh, he was not one of us. 
Watch out, Jesus. Someone else was trying to get under the glory here. Someone else was trying to serve Jesus. Don't, but don't worry, Jesus. We got him. We stopped him. We put a stop to that straight away. We know it's only about us. Jesus gives the disciples, though, a bit of a reality check, doesn't he? Is it actually all about the disciples making great names for themselves? No. Is this all about the disciples being in Jesus' inner circle and being kind of the special ones, better than others? No. Jesus says, verse 39, don't stop him. No one who does a miracle of my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus, he could have even said this even simpler. It's not about you guys. If people are on our side, then great. That's what it's about. It's about, it's about my kingdom. It's about Jesus. We could apply this as a church, couldn't we? Um, it'd be easy for us to be a bit jealous about um, other churches who maybe are doing great things, kind of thinking that we want to be the ones um, who have the success and see the growth and do the cool things. Um, but we won't have that attitude if we remember that it's not actually about us, is it? It's about Jesus. And by the way, I think the other thing that's interesting here is that um, it doesn't also matter so much um, how you serve. It doesn't matter so much if uh, what you're doing is the more dramatic stuff like healings or driving out demons because um, Jesus says uh, they're just whoever, whoever just gives someone a cup of water. Uh, just humble service in the name of Jesus. That's how to be great in Jesus' eyes. It's not about us. It's not about doing the big exciting things. It's about humbly serving others. I think this is the attitude that the passage wants us to have. If we want to follow Jesus and be great in his eyes, this is, this is how we start. We look to Jesus and his example we serve others, but we don't do it to get things back. We serve others, but we don't make it about ourselves. We serve humbly. We serve for the sake of others. We serve for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. But we should now ask our second question, the why question, because um, we might go, well, actually, I'm not sure this is the sort of greatness that I'm after. Maybe I do want to be, it to be a bit more about me, actually. Or I, actually, I do want to get some things back. I do like being rewarded. Or actually, I'm not sure looking to Jesus is going to lead me to the sort of greatness that I'm after. So why would I even want to have this sort of greatness that Jesus puts before us? I, I think the passage, again, gives us um, some helpful pointers. Again, three things uh, when we think about why. Why would we want to actually serve and be great in this way that Jesus talks about? Uh, the first one, you're doing it. For Jesus. As we went through the passage, I wonder if you noticed, um, with the example of giving a cup of water, you give a cup of water in the name of Jesus. Uh, or perhaps with a little child, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me, says Jesus. As, as we serve others, as we humbly serve others and treat others as better than ourselves, we're actually serving Jesus. Now, why would we want to serve Jesus? Well, We'll want to serve Jesus if we understand what he's done for us. We saw that the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem to be killed. And the message of Christianity, it isn't just that the Son of Man went to Jerusalem to be killed just for the sake of it. Uh, the message of Christianity is that Jesus went to Jerusalem to die. To die in the most brutal way possible. To pay the, pay the price for our sins. To set us free from sin. So that we could be part of his kingdom. And so that we could look forward to life forever in relationship with him. He did it for us. And this gift of grace is such a wonderful thing, such good news. That means if we trust in Jesus, we have eternity with him to look forward to. That really means, by the way, that giving up a few things for the sake of others now is not such a big deal. Because we've got eternity ahead of us. 
But this gift of grace is such good news, partly because it's a free gift. We don't, we don't contribute to what Jesus has done for us. We don't, ha- we don't have to pay him back. But if we understand this gift he's given us, if we love him, won't we see it as a privilege to serve him? To be kind to those we know who won't give us anything in return, knowing that in doing so, we're serving Jesus. If we know and trust and love Jesus and we know what Jesus has done for us, then this sort of sacrifice, this sort of greatness isn't a cost, it's a privilege. It's a life lived out of love for him. If we understand what he's done for us, then this is a joy, not a sacrifice. We get to serve the one who died for us. That's the first why point. The second reason why we would want to seek the sort of greatness that Jesus talks about is it's also true that eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake, not a stake. The last part of our passage that Val read, we won't read it all again now, but it's that section from verse 42 onwards. Jesus talks about eternity. He talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about his eternal kingdom and he talks about hell. And Jesus says things like, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Better to be maimed and go into God's kingdom than to go to hell. Um, Same with feet, better to cut one off and go into God's kingdom than go to hell. Same too with our eyes. In the context of talking about being great, Jesus seems to be saying that eternity, heaven and hell, whether you spend eternity with God or cut off from God and his good gifts, eternity seems to be on the line. Now we might wonder how is this so because we've just heard that Jesus' grace is a free gift. He didn't ask us to earn his sacrifice. There's no price for us to pay. Is Jesus saying that by serving others we can earn our spot in his kingdom? (coughs) But I take it there's a lot of talk here about stumbling. I take it Jesus is warning us that there are things that could cause us to stumble. Things we need to watch out for. Things that are dangerous for us. I take it that if we decided then that rather than look to Jesus and his kind of greatness, maybe if we tried to be great in our own way instead, maybe if we decided we wanted to be great by putting ourselves first, maybe if we decided we wanted to be great by actually serving ourselves, well then there would be a danger that we would start to think that we are great. A danger that we would start to think that we're enough for God because of what we've done, because of our own greatness This really is the essence of sin, sin, thinking that um, we can be great on our own, thinking that we don't need God and his help, thinking that we want to be like God, thinking that God would be lucky to have us. And the danger is that we would start to think that we don't need Jesus, that we would choose not to live for him. And that is a danger that could have eternal ramifications. We spoke at the start about things like Greatness and greatness being like a great sports person or great career achievements or things like that. Um, I want to say I don't think those things are bad things at all. I think it's good to go and achieve great things in career or all sorts of things. But I do think we need to just be wary of the dangers that do come with being successful and the dangers particularly in really driving towards that kind of success. Especially if you're driving, if you're driven by trying to prove yourself by trying to be enough, by trying to be seen as great. If you go and say, I want to be one of the greats. For one thing, I think we need to remember that success is unlikely to get us the sort of satisfaction we want anyway. Um, You might remember what Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone would get rich and famous 
and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that is not the answer. Um, But more importantly, I think we need to take the time to see what Jesus says here. Success in the business world, in the academic world, in the sporting world, even in the family world, success can be a great thing. But if you want to find greatness, if you want to be enough, don't look to success. Look to Jesus. To be first is to be last. To be enough is to belong to him. To be great is to be able to serve and there is a real warning here. If, you're, if your career or your desires or the other things that you're driving towards in life are making you think that you can be great without Jesus, perhaps like the passage says here, there are things you need to cut off or cut out for the sake of eternity. Do what you need to do to seek the sort of greatness that Jesus talks about. Humble service of others. Humble service of Jesus. And going, and have a, going and having success is a good thing, but do it not to prove yourself. Do it as a way of expressing who you already are in Jesus. I think that's the key. Go and have success, but not to prove yourself. Do it as a way of expressing who you already are in Jesus. You'll find, I think, a greatness that lasts uh, a lot longer uh, than the other sort of greatness. Uh, this then will take us to our very last point as we find the kind of greatness Jesus talks about, I think we actually will find, um, lastly, in our why point, I think we'll actually find that it brings out our best. I want to draw our attention just to one last verse, the very last verse of our passage, verse 50. Um, Verse 50 says this, uh, it's about salt. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Bit of a weird thing to say, isn't it? Salt comes up about five times in the sentence. Salt. salt is a metaphor in the Bible. It's used a number of times. Uh, salt was a very good thing in the ancient world. Of course, salt is, salt is good now too, although some of us might be trying to watch our salt intake and not have too much salt. Um, but back then, salt was very uh, important. Of course, they used salt to preserve food. Um, but they knew as well that salt was really great for flavor. Um, salt, as I'm sure we know, if we use salt in our cooking, it actually makes everything else taste better, doesn't it? Um, you know, steak on its own tastes good, but if you season it just right... Well, it tastes even better. It doesn't taste salty. Like if it starts tasting salty, then you've just used too much salt. But um, the right amount of salt actually brings out the best in whatever it is you're cooking. Uh, it's the same with us and this sort of greatness that Jesus talks about. If you, live your li- if you live your life trying to prove yourself, trying to be enough, trying to be great in the eyes of the world, trying to make a name for yourself, sooner or later, I think you'll probably find that you'll buckle under that pressure. You just won't quite be enough as, you, uh, as much as you wish you were. Or you'll have success, but you won't quite get some of the things that you wanted. Or you'll have success, but it'll only be for a time. If we seek instead the greatness that Jesus puts forward, well, we'll be free to live and to serve others without the pressure. We'll seek success, but not to prove anything to ourselves or to others. We'll seek success as an expression of who we already are. In Jesus, like being well-seasoned, we'll be free to be the best versions of ourselves, to live without so much pressure. And I think we'll find this especially as we do it together. Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think as we live humbly, helping one another, caring for one another, forgiving one another, serving one another, I think that's when we'll find our greatest selves. 
I was chatting with someone a few weeks ago on the idea of serving. Now we were talking about um, doing, doing a particular job here at church. Uh, they were saying that they'd been coming to church for a while, but it was when they um, started serving, they started helping out on a roster. Um, they, they found that actually they were surprised because they really started to find uh, joy and to feel like they really belonged a lot more at church. I kind of think this is what Jesus is talking about, humbly looking to the interests of others, humbly serving. I think that's where joy and real greatness is found. And you can have a lot of fun too. There are a few gaps on our rosters at the moment if you'd like to find a little bit of extra greatness uh, this year. Uh, Let me leave you then with uh, this question. Do we want to find this kind of greatness that Jesus offers? Well, will we look look to him? Uh, Will we serve not to get back, but serve for the sake of others? Will we serve out of the joy of being part of Jesus' eternal kingdom? Will we be a salty community as we humbly serve one another and those around us and get to see the best versions of ourselves come out? Will we look to this kind of greatness, the greatness of following Jesus, knowing that he's the one who gave up everything for our sake? I'm going to pray for his help as we go about doing that. And then the band will come up and we'll respond by singing a couple of great songs together. So let me pray. Uh, Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we are amazed as we come to you today, reading your words, standing here by your spirit in your very presence. Uh, You are are the great saviour and we want to seek the kind of greatness uh, that you're on about. Help us to be humble, help us to serve humbly, help us to find greatness in knowing your love for us and expressing that in love for others. Help us to know the joy that comes from knowing that we belong to you. We pray this today in your name. Amen.